Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for July 5th, 2009. We're going to start part 9 of our Hebrew Roots Movement study now, continuing where we left off. From Fabre de Olivet, author of La Langi Hebraic, we learn not only the true source of the Hebrew oral tradition, which is Egypt, but its future transmission into the great body of Jewish mysticism called the Kabbalah. It's not a mouthful just there in the last sentence. So we're going to learn from this uh, Fabry guy the true source of the Hebrew oral tradition, which is Egypt. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Because that's the same as where the false Bible versions came from. Alexandria, Egypt. That's where the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus were inspired from the Alexandrian uh, corruptions of Scripture. That's where they were inspired from. See, there's two lines of Bibles. One that originated mostly in Antioch, which is where they were first called Christians, and another one that originated more in Alexandria, Egypt. Now, um, the Lord says in the Word of God, regarding instruction to kings, not even to go to Egypt to get horses. So why in the world would he tell you to go there to get the word of God? They're admitting here the Hebrew, the source of the Hebrew oral tradition is Egypt, which we're warned about continually in Scripture. When you go to Egypt, it always turns out bad. Typically, it's like a, it's a type of going back into the world. The, the true source of Hebrew oral tradition, which is Egypt, but its future transmission into the great body of Jewish mysticism called the Kabbalah. The highest form of Judaic witchcraft that exists. The Kabbalah. Where did it get its true source? Egypt. Where did that probably originate from? Babylon. The Babylonian mystery religions. Understand, that's what you're associating yourself with when you get into this movement. There's people that, you know, they may not be coming right out and teaching that first lesson, but ultimately, this is what they believe. And ultimately, there's demons and devils that possess these people to do this thing. And those same demons and devils are going to influence you. If the head is sick, the body's going to be sick. According to Fabre de Olivet, Moses, who was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, drew from the Egyptian mysteries as part of the oral tradition which was handed down through the leaders of the Israelites. Wow, I don't remember that being in the Bible anywhere. Just because Moses was brought up in Egypt, they're all of a sudden making this mental leap of logic saying that he drew from the Egyptian mysteries as part of the oral tradition. In other words, Moses had this separate oral tradition that was handed down, that's not in the Bible. But we, yet we have to have it in order to interpret the Torah, which he wrote. Garbage. Garbage alert. That was total garbage. So, that such an oral tradition, distinct from the written word embodied in the Pentateuch, did descend from Moses and that it later committed was committed in writing in the Talmud. And the Kabbalah is the opinion of many Jewish writers. So, that's a pretty blasphemous statement. In other words, Moses had this oral tradition that was handed down orally, separate from the written word of God in the Torah, and that it was handed down from Moses and was later committed and right into the Talmud, this is after even Jesus died, through the Pharisees, and, and then it was actually translated into the Talmud and the Kabbalah. So they're basically calling Moses one of the highest, what, the, the start of their high-level witch, witch priesthood. That's what they're calling Moses. Because when they associate Moses with the Kabbalah, how, what, what other thing could you associate him with? They associate with the Talmud and the Kabbalah, the two most blasphemous books of Judaism. 
Whew, man, I tell you, they they really have no fear of God as far as I can see. Going further, it says, from the, Kabbal- from the book The Kabbalah in English, we may glean factual information about the Hebrew sacred books, primarily the Talmud, whose Gnostic hidden meanings were later developed into the Kabbalah. The Kabbalah in English, whose Gnostic hidden meanings were later developed into the Kabbalah. See, they're saying that the the hidden meanings that even lie within the Talmud, they were then distilled out of that and then translated into the Kabbalah. This is why I am not big on going back to occult knowledge in order to find supposed hidden truth. There's a gigantic movement within the Christian movement where we're trying to find out, okay, we got to find out the dates for when is 2012 real? Is it is what's going to happen? Is, you know, all of the stuff with the Mayan calendar David Flynn has brought a lot of this stuff to light. But where did David Flynn go to get his information? He self-admits it's Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton was a high-level occultist. I believe a Rosicrucian. I have a whole Word document on this. I'm very apprehensive about David Flynn's research. Not to say he's not brilliant. But I'm very apprehensive about going to these supposed sacred uh, occult sources in order to get truth that I can apply to my life as a Christian. Why do I want to get wrapped up in that? And a lot of people just get one wrapped up in it, and what they do is they get away from the Word of God, and the Word of God's put on a back shelf because they're they're pursuing all of these other little things. I, I There's been times I've got wrapped up into that as a Christian, but I think it's very dangerous. Very dangerous. It's as though I've got to have this wisdom from the devil in order to interpret what's going to really... I don't need that. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't need it. And, you know, they're saying that something really big, gigantic is going to happen. I think it's either on the 11th or 12th of this month, which is, what, six days away, five or six days away. And they've been predicting this for a long time. So we'll see. The problem is with date setting is most of the time... Most, I'm not saying every, but I don't see a lot of New Testament scripture for date setting. There's been so many people that have set dates, particularly in the last 50 years, and they don't come to pass, and they end up looking like fools, and the people that they had following them are, because they're following a man, they get disenchanted, and then they just say, oh, Christianity's just... See, that's why you just trust the Word of God, and you don't trust a man. And you don't try to go around and start date setting and doing a lot of these things. I just I think it's very dangerous. Going further, this is from this Kabbalah in English. And it says, the Midrash stemming from the same period as the Talmud, but more concerned with supplying context in elaboration of the biblical text. So in other words, the Midrash is concerned with elaboration of the biblical text. Now remember, the main elements of the Talmud are the Mishnah, the Gemara, the Babylonian, the Palestinian version, and the Midrash. Now, what did it just say here? The Midrash stemming from the same period as the Talmud, is more concerned with supplying the context and elaboration of biblical texts. So this is what a lot of people say. This is what this lady said to me the other day. Oh, we just go to the Midrash. Oh, good. I'm so glad you go to some occultic source in order to get your interpretation of the Bible. These people seem to think that it's no big deal. They really do. They're, They're, oh, well, it's not a big deal. Hopefully I've proven to you today just from these last couple teachings how big a deal it is. Going further, uh, this is another quote from Kabbalah in English. Ancillary to this is Rashi and Rabom. Rashi is Rabbi Shalomo ben Yitzchak. 
author of the most important, most widespread commentary on the Bible and the Talmud. Even the most uneducated of Jews in pre-modern times knew what Rashi said about the passage, about a passage in the Bible. In his glosses, or in, in other words, in his interpretation, are to be found on almost every page of the Talmud. So this guy had his own interpretations of what these Talmudic verses meant. This was the main guy people turned to. His commentary generally distills the Talmudic teachings and draws on the Midrash heavily. Remember, the Midrash is what helps them to reinterpret the Bible. And it in turn lies at the foundation of many of the later commentaries. So when did all this garbage, a lot of this start? Well, with this Rashi. Rabom is Rabbi Moses ben Maimon, usually called in English by his Greek name, Maimonides. He wrote the first definitive compilation of the Jewish law since the Talmudic times, the Mishnah Torah. But for the student of the Kabbalah, it is a guide. So you see how matter-of-factly they're talking about people that interpret the Talmud and then it helps them interpret the Kabbalah and this and that. I want to show you that I don't care if you say you don't associate with the Talmud and the you are associating with them because it's all lumped together. Eventually, um, you'll probably see that. Peter Micas and Jacob Prash and other Hebrew roots uh, movement people also favor the Midrash. Chaim Maccabee notes that the Haggadah of the Midrash is composed of Jewish fables. So this part of the Midrash called the Haggadah is composed of Jewish fables. The Haggadah, found mainly in the Midrash, is the poetical side of Phariseeism, of the Pharisees. And it encompasses folk tales, parables, quaint fancies. That's a, that's a word you need to use more of, no doubt. Quaint fancies. Quaint fancies. Anyway, and the metaphysical speculations. Metaphysical? What, like the occultic? Yeah. <laughs> folk tales, parables, quaint fancies? In metaphysical speculations, God issues the warning in Scripture found in Titus 1.14, where it says, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from truth. See, these apostles knew about these oral traditions that hadn't been committed to the Talmud at that point, but they were giving the warning that you're not supposed to give heed to these Jewish fables and commandments of men. Remember, the scribes made these things, they made this why? Because they turn from truth. We're not supposed to give heed to any of this garbage that we're talking about. I shouldn't even have to do this teaching. And you realize if we were to go back even 50 years ago, I really wouldn't have had to have done this teaching. Not within the Christian church. Now, I'm not saying Judaism didn't have all this still, but it hadn't infiltrated the Christian church. This leaven hadn't really permeated into the church. I mean, even if we go back to 1980, it really hadn't, from what I can see. Now, let me ask you something. If this is something that is so essential to salvation, and so true, and so whatever, are you telling me then the last, basically the last 2,000 years, we haven't even had the truth? Thank God for these rabbis that have come on the scene to point us to the way of truth. Why? So that what does that mean? That means that everybody in the last 2,000 years was essentially damned to hell because they didn't have the truth. If you go by what they teach you, that's pretty much the case. Why? Because they're teaching another gospel. But that's how serious this subject is. Project Genesis found at www.torah.org forward slash info forward slash genesis dot html is connected to such Hebrew root sites as Larry Rollins, Messengers of Truth. Part of its purpose includes education about the Jewish roots. Quote, Project Genesis further promotes Jewish education about our Jewish roots as represented in Jewish sources. According to their facts, one of their online Torah projects is Hypertext Halakha. Now remember, this is a Hebrew Roots movement and they've got one of their online Torah projects, Hypertext Halakha, which is a translation of selections of the Mishnah. 
wow, so I don't have to have a rabbi read it to me. I can go and I can have it translated myself. Selections of the Mishnah. The term halakha is, is used frequently when discussing the Midrash, the Mishnah, and the Talmudic teachings, and needs to be defined according to one authority. Okay, so the halakha, you know, it's integral between Midrash, Mishnah, and Talmudic teachings. According to one authority regarding the halakha, the halakha means the way or the path. Halakha is the application of the law or the Torah to everyday living. So, good. We, we need to have this somebody orally interpret what does the Torah mean to everyday living for you. The traditional viewpoint is the halakha should be decided by those who are most knowledgeable in all aspects of Jewish law. Since the halakha of each generation is decided by the greatest Torah scholars, what does that mean? That means it changes. But the word of God never changes. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119, verse 89. How could it change? That's man's doing. That's Satan's doing. But see, the halakha of each generation is decided by its greatest Torah scholars. So it changes. By whatever these greatest Torah scholars say. The Torah doesn't change. There is little change in the halakha well, and the Torah doesn't change, so there is usually little change in the halakha from one generation to the next. Why? Because the Torah doesn't change. But there is some. With that in mind, we see from hypertext halakha, distributed by this Project Genesis, this Larry Rowland guy of the Hebrew Roots Movement, we see the list of topics from these sacred Jewish books relevant to everyday life. Remember, this is what the Halakha does. It's the application of the law to everyday living. And this is, re, this is, this is retranslated through this hypertext Halakha through Larry Rowland and his Messengers of Truth Project Genesis website. And here's what they're teaching Christians. This is the list of topics from the sacred Jewish books. Oh, you're going to love this. Relevant to everyday life. So, Taylor, pay attention. This is just a small portion of these included in the following examples. You're going to love this. This is this is this just gets better and better. Here, here, here we go. Here's some here's some things that they get into. Relevant to everyday life, our our life. Well, this is uh, Simeon eleven, and it and what is that in regard to? Well, the law of titsies. What what are titsies? Well, those are the fringes or tassels found on the talat, or the prayer shawls, worn by observant Jews. <laughs> the law of the titsies. And then there's the law of the titsy strings. Because we got to have that, too. I mean, we don't want to have our titsies out of order, things and tassels and stuff like that. Remember, these are fringes or tassels found on the talat. I had to look this up on on the uh, computer, but there are fringes or tassels found on the talat, or the prayer shawl, worn by observant Jews. I had one of my friends that got into the Hebrew Roots Movement, he bought me a prayer shawl. I actually wore that thing a couple times too. I, am, you know, I told you, I was into this a little bit. Now, it'd be good, I think what would be good is if maybe I had a prayer shawl and I, I sold 8 by 10 glossy pictures of myself up on my website, another source of revenue. Sorry, just kidding, teasing. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah, I, I shame to admit it. I was blowing on the old shofar and had the old prayer shawl going on, and uh, but you know, God kept me out of that for the most part. I really didn't. I was just in it and out of it. And I think God wanted to, for me to be able to look back on this and to see how deceptive it was, you know. So we've got that. This is one of the things you can learn on this Project Genesis from the Hebrew Roots Movement, Hypertext Halakha. Uh, and then we need. Then we have. Um, Another section is things that invalidate the titsies or these fringes. Things that invalidate those. Um, from Simon 20. And then we have the law of the titsies in a cemetery. So when you go into a cemetery and you've got these fringes on you, you got to have what, how do you act, I guess. The laws of the way you behave in a cemetery. 
And then, that was from Simeon 26, and then the law for someone who has only one tifla. Now I had to look what that meant. This is very interesting. Let's go to Matthew 23.5. I've been trying to get these studies done more ahead of time because I've been so overwhelmed lately with the ministry. What's been happening is, is I haven't even been able to do my studies up until like Saturday night, which really isn't good because then I have to kind of rush to get them done. I've just been so inundated with questions and things of this nature. So, Matthew 23. I thought this was very interesting. Matthew 23, verse 5. Now, this is Jesus Christ talking about the marks of a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were, I would say, probably one of the main, main, main ones Jesus Christ would have really had a gigantic problem with. Um... And it says, for they bind heavy burdens. Now, this is what the Moses, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Okay? Uh, they, they're all therefore observe, all therefore observe, they bid you to observe that observe and do, but do ye not after their works. For they say and do not. And then verse 4, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Now, this is talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. See, again, that's, that's, a, that's a self-check for any Christian. Are you doing what you do to be seen of men? Are you giving to be seen of men? Are you, do you have a ministry so that you can be seen of men and appreciated and, 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 and held in high regard? And then what, what's the next thing it says? They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Hmm, they make broad their phylacteries. Now, what is a phylactery? It's passages of scripture that are enclosed in a small black leather case and bound upon the forehead and or the arm. Or the actually the, the definition I got. Black leather boxes with Bible verses worn above the forehead and one wrapped around the arm or arm uh, wrapped around the arm or fingers or hand so these little black boxes with scriptures in them okay those are phylacteries what is another word for a phylactery a tifla so part of this this hypertextalica hebrew roots movement translation that we're going to get is the law for someone who has only one tifla so if you've only got one little black box with scriptures in it you know what do you do with it that's important, right? I mean, that's all in the New Testament. We're, we're supposed to be concerned with those things. And let's go further. And then the laws of taking off the Teflon, these little black boxes. You, you got to take them off a certain way or, or, you know, you might make God mad, I guess, or something. That's from Simeon 35. Then the law concerning the numbers of lines in the Torah passages of the Teflon. Remember what I just read in verse 4? For they bind... This is what the Pharisees do. This is what is going to happen to you if you stay in the Hebrew Roots Movement or if you're in it. They are going to bind upon you heavy burdens and grievous to be born. Doesn't this sound like a heavy burden too grievous to be born? i got to do this and i got to do that. What does it boil back to? Works. But see, we're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. What do you mean, lest any man should boast? Well, it's just the same as verse 5. But all their works, they do for to be seen of men. That's why the Pharisees and the scribes did it. To be seen of men. Jesus Christ knew that. These are going to be part of the ones that, you know, Jesus Christ says, Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity, I never knew you. And they're going to tell him all their great works. But Jesus, haven't we done all these great and mighty miracles? Haven't we cast out devils? And then he's going to say, Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity, I never knew you. They were never saved. They were totally trusting in their works from the very beginning. They did it to be seen of men. And verily when you do that, verily you have your reward. When you do it to be seen among men, when you give, 
or when you do things like this, you have your reward on earth. We're going to go back to those verses soon. So, then let's go further. Uh, here's some more things that you got to worry about. They, these are from this uh, retranslation or, uh, from the uh, Hypertext Halakha from Project Genesis. Which people are to write Tiflin? Uh, so, in other words, I guess there are certain people that can write on these Tiflins, these little black boxes. And then, uh, Simeon 43 is concerning the laws of the Tiflin when entering a bathroom. So, if you're wearing these black boxes and you enter a bathroom, you better do it the right way. They bind heavy burdens, grievous to be borne, and lay on them men's shoulders. But then it says, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They don't even, they don't, they don't keep the very things they're telling you to do. They may seem to do it in public. But inwardly understand, they are ravening wolves. If Satan can be transformed into an angel of light, it's no marvel that his ministers can be transformed into ministers of righteousness. They're not really ministers of righteousness, but they appear to be that way to you. And that would apply to these these rabbis that are trying to bring you to hell. Oh, now you've went too far. No, I haven't. You're either working for the Lord Jesus Christ or you're working against him. They are working contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are giving you another gospel. They are doing everything they can do for you to question the New Testament and the Word of God and to accept their interpretation. They are agents of Satan. Whether, I mean, you know, whether they're aware of it or not. I'm not saying everybody, all of them are aware of it. Let's go further. Uh, Simeon 45, the laws of the Tiflin in a graveyard and bathhouse. Okay. Simeon 73. Uh, no, Simeon 75. How one should be careful, one should be careful about a woman's uncovered hair and a woman's singing voice when reading from the Shema, and also not to read it in the presence of nakedness. Now, what is the Shema? The Shema is the morning and evening repetitive prayer that the Jews say. Again, something else God forbids. That we're not to pray with vain repetition like the heathen do. Hail Mary, full of grace, our Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among all women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Isn't that a repetitive prayer? Aren't those Rosary prayer beads, repetitive prayers. It's an abomination to God. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Where does it say to do that? Where does it say to go to the confessional and confess your sins before men? It says confess your faults one to another, but it never says go confess your sins to men that they may absolve you of your sins. That's a bunch of garbage. We go to the Lord Jesus Christ. We go to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ to confess our sins. It's the only way we can appropriate it, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that paid our sin debt. These repetitive prayers are an abomination to God. But they've got this part of this thing, you know, how to be careful about a woman's uncovered hair and a woman's singing voice when reading the Shema, the morning and evening Jewish prayer and then Shema 76 which is regarding to be careful of excrement when saying the Shema you got to be careful of poop when you're saying the morning and evening prayer okay I'm not making this stuff up this is what is in this hypertext halakha which is what um, again let me just read that to you again halakha means where path halakha is the application of the law the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, to everyday living. This is for us, people. This is what they're saying is for us. Oh, how sickening. So, to be careful of excrement when saying the Shema. 
And then, the, and then Simeon 79 is regarding one who comes across excrement or poop when reading the Shema. I just came across this pile of poop when I was reading the Shema. What do I do? By golly, I just don't know. Unbelievable. Isn't this almost comical? This is almost comical. And yet, these are some of the most unreachable people I have ever dealt with. I don't know of anyone that I have ever swayed or turned. I give you this more not that I hold hope of them turning and I pray to God they would, but I give it to you more maybe somebody that's on the fence or somebody that maybe will be faced with this in the future so you can arm yourself with this and draw back on it and say, oh, no, I remember these are their own quotes. I'm not making this stuff up. And I, again, these the, both these docs are, are, are online. What I'm going to do is, is I'm just going to alternate back and forth, part one, part two. Part, and one, each of them are over 50 pages apiece. Pure quotations, pure references, you know. So, then next, what's the next one? Shema 103. Which is regarding someone who needs to flatulate in the middle of praying. So if you need to pass gas while you're praying, you got to know how to do that properly. If, if you're praying that, okay? Got to do it that in a, in a, uh, a way that the, the hypertext halakha tells you to do it. Your application to everyday living. I'm, I'm not making this up. Is this insane? Then Shema 114, which is the law of mentioning wind, dew, and rain. Wow, well, you know, I'm so glad they covered that too. Oh, so, the Jewish writer Solomon Maimon wrote in the year 1792 to expose what he called absurd questions, which are disclosed with the uttermost seriousness and explicit detail in the Talmud. And he says, the oddest rabbinical conceits are elaborated through many volumes with the finest dialectic and absurd questions are discussed with the highest efforts of intellectual power. For example, how many white hairs may a red cow have and yet remain a red cow? What sort of scabs require this or that purification? Or whether a louse or a flea may be killed on the Sabbath, the first being allowed, while the second is a deadly sin. What? Yeah. Whether a louse or a flea may be killed on the Sabbath. This is regarding the Talmud. These are the kind of questions the Talmud gets into. What we're going to find out whether a flea or a louse may be killed on the Sabbath. Because remember, if you're going to be a strict Sabbatarian, you better do it the right way. Because it's a death penalty if you don't do it the right way. They stoned someone for picking up sticks in, on the Sabbath. In the Old Testament. In fact, I just added that into my, my Sabbath. Um, it was biblical though. At the time, it was biblical. It's not biblical anymore. Remember, Jesus is, you know, Jesus Christ called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, and I'm not going to turn, I'm not going to go down that road yet, okay, with the Sabbath. I've already done a whole teaching on that, two teachings. We are going to probably talk about that more, though. We're going to give you some more Bible verses regarding that, because that's all wrapped up in this. That is all wrapped up in this particular movement. And again, those are some of the most pointless arguments I've been in with Sabbatarians. So this will tell you this, this uh, explicit details of the Talmud, whether Laos or Flea may be killed on the Sabbath, the first being allowed, while the second is a deadly sin. Now, I'm not sure if that means you can kill it once, but if you try to kill another one, again, it's a deadly sin. So if you try to kill two fleas, you die. But one flea you can kill. Or I don't know whether that means that you can kill a louse, that's okay, but you can't kill a flea. That's a deadly sin. I, who knows how they interpret that. I could care less. But And then it goes on, whether the slaughter of an animal ought to be executed at the neck or the tail. 
or whether the high priest has to put his shirt on or his hose first, his hosiery. If you're a German high priest, you put on your lederhosen. Sorry, little joke there. Anyway, um, so this high priest, if he's uh, got to put his shirt or his hose on first, Okay, or whether the Jabam, that is the brother of a man who dies dies childless, being required by law to marry the widow, is relieved from his obligation if he falls off a roof, and then he sticks and sticks into the mire. So if you fall off a roof and you stick into the, the dirt or the mud, does that relieve the brother of the man who died childless, does that relieve him of the obligation to marry the widow? Is this mind-numbing? I just wanted to read this to you so you could understand truly when he said, when Solomon Maimon wrote in 1792 to expose what he called absurd questions, which are discussed in the utmost seriousness and explicit detail in the Talmud, truly absurd questions are applicable here. They are absurd. Remember, for they bind heavy burdens, grievous to be born, the Pharisees, and lay on men's shoulders. Talk about adding to the Word of God. Now, um, before you ask yourself if Jesus is pleased with these religious leaders of the Jews, and consequently... um, I'm reading this. I must have wrote this wrong. Well, again, ask yourself if you think that Jesus is pleased. Would you think Jesus is pleased with all of this that we're talking about? How does he feel about the Pharisees? We know how he feels about them in the Old Testament. Well, isn't that applicable to the modern-day Phariseeism of the Hebrew Roots Movement and the modern-day rap? Now, it's way worse today than it ever was in Jesus' day. They hadn't even committed these to writing yet. These were oral traditions. They weren't written at that point. Now we've had two more thousand years to add more heavy burdens, grievous to be borne on people. Satan is a cruel taskmaster. He'll just keep piling it on you if you let him. Let's go to Matthew 23.1, which is just where we were at. And I'm going to go ahead and read this a little bit more coherently than I did the first time, hopefully. Matthew 23, 1, 1 through 15. Then Jesus spake to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So, in other words, remember what I said before, how they would like to associate themselves with somebody in the past that was holy? But look at all the blasphemous things they've already attributed to Moses. They say, that's where we really got the modern-day foundation for the Talmud and the Kabbalah, through Moses. That gives them a justification in their own sick mind to get into all of these blasphemous teachings and witchcraft. Well, if it was good enough for Moses, it's good enough for me. Moses never had anything to do with any of this. Verse 3, All therefore, now this is Jesus Christ talking, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. In other words, they're telling you to do a lot of things they're not even doing. Verse 4, which I've just read, For they bind heavy burdens, grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. In other words, do as I say, but not as I do. Okay? Verse 5, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. Well, isn't that the case? You see these rabbis at the prayer wall in Jerusalem, and they're praying, and they're, you know, they're like doing the little chicken dance there at the wall and they've got their phylacteries, their their prayer boxes on their head with their prayer shawls and all this other stuff and they put the little pieces of paper in the wall. Give me a break. What are they doing? They're, they're be doing this to be seen of men. They make bra their phylacteries. Those are the little black boxes with leather wrapped black boxes that we talked about, the teflon. And enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at the feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues, they love to be seen among men and have the best seat in the house, in other words. And the greetings in the markets, and to be called men, Rabbi, Rabbi. 
Jesus says in verse 8 though, but be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. One is our master, even Christ, and we are all brethren. If ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And in Christ, in the body of Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. We're the body of Christ. Verse 9, And call no man your father upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. There's that verse I said, but you shouldn't be calling these Catholic priests father. Their father, they are of their father, the devil, and of his works they are and will be doing. Catholic priests, rabbis. Two totally forbidden terms. Isn't that funny that Jesus Christ forbids both those terms? And yet they take on those terms? Hmm. Then verse 10, Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. So you don't call anybody master either. You're not supposed to call him master. One is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Why, why doesn't anybody preach on that? <laughs> I don't hear these guys preaching on that very much. Why? Because most of the time, particularly if you're dealing with the televangelist crowd, you know, they can try to act all with false humility all day. They can feign false humility all day long. The bottom line is they love the greetings in the marketplace and they love having the uppermost rooms in the feast. In other words, is an example. They love all that money flowing in and, and those nice cars they drive and those big houses they live in and all the benefits that go along with it. But remember, verily, they have their reward. What shall a prophet of a man gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And if you follow them, you're going down the path of destruction just like they are. For the most part, I believe most of the people following them are on their way to hell, most likely. And it depends what you, what you have your faith in and what you believe in. But at bare minimum, they're going to mess your ministry up really bad. They're going to mess your walk up with God really bad, at bare minimum, if you follow them. Verse 12, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. Now, remember, the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God. I am praying for that day. Because when judgment comes, there's a lot of people that are going to get their eyes opened. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. This is a pronouncement of what's going to happen to all of these devils in these high places in this pseudo-false Christian religion. They're going to be abased. And he shall, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Are you striving to be a servant? Many that are called, that shall be first, shall be last in heaven. Now those are people that actually were saved. But on earth, they were saved and they, they took preeminence. Now, I'm not saying that, that somebody like Benny Hinn would qualify this. Because I believe they are of the father of the devil and of his works they will do. They've been prepositioned there by the Illuminati for a reason. To defile Christianity as much as they possibly can. Hey, you hear about Benny Hinn? His last crusade down in Uganda? Charging 50 bucks a head to get in the door? 50 bucks! To, these, to this war-torn, poverty-stricken country, Uganda of the black races, and he's charging 50 bucks a head to get in. What a great guy. But it's worth it if you know, go. You could go in there and get that false anointing. Judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. I pray for the day it starts coming. I really do. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. And all men shall see and fear and declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of his doing. The righteous shall be glad, and the Lord shall trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. Psalm 63, the end of it. That's what's coming. That's what we need. The fear of God is beginning in wisdom, understanding. It always results in conversions. It always results in people getting right with the Lord. God's judgment always does. We need it. Okay, so, 
going to verse 13. But woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, he's really singling out the scribes and Pharisees here. Because I think from what we can see, the reason that Jesus Christ would be singling them out is because at least the Sadducees pretty much just wanted to stick with the Torah. and They didn't want to add to it. Or t- now, they, had, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they had some false beliefs. But who were the ones seeking, actively seeking to add to the word of God? The Pharisees and the scribes. What was the verse we just quoted in Jeremiah 8? You know, through the pen of the scribes made he it. This false doctrine they were trying to bring in and add to. This is why it says they bind heavy burdens grievous to be born. Because they were trying to add to the word of God. Whereas it didn't appear as the Sadducees were really trying to do that. Not to near the extent, at bare minimum. So, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, meaning you're going to hell, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. What does the word suffer? It means to permit. So, you're not going to heaven, and because you are of your father the devil, and of his works you will do, you're, you're trying to take as many people to hell with you as possible. Would they ever admit that? Never. I'm not trying to take people to hell, I'm trying to lead them on the path of truth. Well, you're of your father the devil, you're blinded. I pray to God you get your eyes open, and I pray to God you get saved. But the, the bottom line is, is, you are enemies of the Gospels. And the Bible even talks about that in Romans 11, in, in and it talks about that they're enemies for the gospel's sake. But it also talks about that they're beloved for the Father's sake. So, a third part of them will get saved at the end. Okay? Going further, and again, if you think God's done with the Jews, just read Romans 11, and then Revelation, Revelation 7 and 14 where it talks about the 12 tribes, the 144,000. Oh, those, those aren't really the tribes. Those are the British Israelism's interpretation of the tribes. I've even heard um, some of the uh, black races say, no, no, those are, those are all the tribes split up into the different black races, and all this nonsense. Again, there's a lot of cults out there. A lot of cults. Stick with the Word of God. Going further, 14, verse 14, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses. What does that imply? They're money-hungry. You devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayer. Why? To be seen of men? Yeah. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. See, there's different levels of hell. There's different levels of hell. I had a guy emailed me the other day and he asked me, well, do you think because Catholicism did this or that that they brought in the notion of hell to control people? I'm like, no, they didn't bring in the notion of hell. Hell's been known about before Catholicism was even a religion. Hell was known about in the Old Testament. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, remember? Anyway. Um, so they're going to receive greater damnation, these, these Pharisees. Remember, these are the same people that are at the head of the Hebrew Roots Movement. They're going to receive the greater damnation. They're using, and, and in this case, in the Hebrew Roots Movement, they're using, under the pretense of Jesus Christ, saying that they're representatives of Jesus Christ, to a certain extent, and their religion they're using that to take people ultimately to hell. That's what this is all about. This is a battle against heaven and hell. This is a battle of where you're going to end up, heaven or hell. You follow these Hebrew roots te- teachings, you're on your way to hell. It's another gospel. If you want to know what the true gospel is that the Bible clearly lays out, just key in my salvation teaching I did. Just key in part of the word salvation in the keyword search box on my homepage. It's not a complicated issue. It's been made a complicated issue. And that's why I did a three-part teaching on it to totally clarify this and just give you Bible for a very simple issue. The simplicity of the gospel. Remember where it's talked about that? It's simple. Anyway, verse 15. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land, meaning you compass, you go about to sea and land 
to make one proselyte, meaning to make, to make one false convert. And when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. He's worse than you. Once you, once you make him, once you get him converted, do you see why this is so dangerous? Do you understand that the, that the, the satanic demons and devils that are behind the Hebrew Roots movement, that are behind these supposed rabbis and these teachers of this movement, that they're compassing both sea and land to make converts and proselytes of, of themselves, like little mini versions of themselves, that are twofold more the child of hell than they are? Do you see why I'm, I'm so up in arms about this and why this is so dangerous? This is something Jesus Christ warned about. Okay, so let's go further. Um, let's go now, let's jump to verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, these are spices, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These are the weightier matters of the law. Okay? Ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. In other words, they were, and again, it's going to say that, well, it says it in the next verse. Ye blind guides. Remember, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in a ditch. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. That's what they're doing. They're straining at these nice, the, the, the little tassels that they wear on their prayer shawls and, and their little phylacteries that they wear on their forehead. And, and how do they behave in the presence of excrement and all these other little stupid things they put upon men grievous to be born. They're straining at these little things and they've omitted the weightier matters. What are the weightier matters? Judgment. Probably the judgment of God, which is what I've been talking about. Mercy. If you don't show mercy unto your brother, then then don't go expect don't go to God expecting any mercy. You got to forgive other people, or how can you expect forgiveness? Judgment, mercy, faith. Remember, I said it always boils down to faith. Over and over and over again, faith, even in the Old and the New Testament. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, this is verse 25, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. I'll tell you, a lot of these, a lot of these um, studies that are done on these guys, these various guys in the Hebrew Roots movement, boy, you're going you're, you're to see a lot of documentation of some really some nasty stuff about these supposed you know, rabbis and teachers of, of this uh, Hebrew Roots movement stuff. But they want to look clean on the outside. They want to come and they want to look real holy. They got their little yarmulke, maybe they've even got their hexagram on their yarmulke. The little prayer, the skull cap. I've, I've heard that that is actually a mockery of Jesus Christ in that he was crucified at Golgotha, the place of the skull. And that a skull cap is actually a mockery of Jesus Christ. Now I don't know, I can't I haven't looked into that far enough, but I have heard that. Wouldn't it surprise me? I mean, as much as Judaism despises Jesus Christ up until this point, why would that surprise you? And they got their prayer shawls and their long flowing garments and their big beards and all the other tassels and, and they read off these scrolls and you know. It looks real impressive. It's just like going into a Catholic church where they have all of this garbage up there and their pipe organs and their stained glass windows and these black robed devils called priests and their big long flowing garments. It's an absolute abomination to God. But they make white. They make clean the outside of the cup. That's the point I'm trying to make. And of the platter. But within they are full of extortion and excess. Verse 26. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup. Meaning you and your, you know, the soul and the spirit. Cleanse, cleanse that. First cleanse that which is within the cup and the platter. That the outside of them may also be clean. Remember, God, God looks not on outward appearances, but he looks on the heart. That's the point here. Verse 27, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whitened sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, and whitened sepulchre meaning a tomb, 
but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. You know where I first heard this? When I went to Lutheran Middle School at uh, this place called Good Shepherd, and I had a teacher named Miss Spangler, and she was an ex-nun. She came over to the, she came from the dark side under the, under the force of the, you know, the white side. Because she, I never learned about salvation there, ever. But she came over to the Lutherans, and she was, she really, she really, um, I think in as much as she could, she really did care about me. And I remember she would take me off, you know, and, and she would pray with me, and she would say, she would quote that verse about being a white and sepulcher full of dead man's bones. Don't grow up to be a white and sepulcher full of dead man's bones. She would say that to me. I didn't really know what it meant. I do know what it means now. But I remember that sticks out because that's the first place I ever heard it. It's just a little side note, a little trivia about my life. But anyway, um, so then verse 28. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men. Isn't that the case for almost all false religious teachers? They appear righteous unto men. But within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Anybody that comes in looking pious and pompous, particularly if they're dressed up in priestly garb, I am absolutely suspect of them right off the bat. Remember, they that are exalted shall be abased, and they that humble themselves will be exalted. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. So, let's go further. Let's jump to verse 33. Ye serpents, this is Jesus Christ talking here, ye serpents, ye generations of vipers. Wow. He is, I mean, he's calling them a serpent and a viper. That's as, about as low down a thing as he could probably say to them. I mean, who was the serpent, the first serpent in the Bible? Satan himself, who tempted Eve. He equates them with, with the serpent. Why? Because they're of their father, Satan, the devil, who was the serpent incarnate, and of his works they will do. Ye serpents and vi- generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Oh, but there's no hell. Yeah, right. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. There's a lot of people that say that. There's, you know. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets, and the wise men, and the scribes, and some of them you shall kill. And cru- now, these were good scribes. Okay, I mean, there were good scribes that wrote the Old Testament. They're not all bad. And, and not all prophets are bad. And some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them city to city. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Barakas, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Well, it doesn't sound to me like Jesus was really happy with the Pharisees. And the guys we're talking about today are like Pharisees on steroids. I mean, this is even way worse than it was back in Jesus' day. So is it any less grievous to Jesus Christ? Particularly when they're trying to pervert the gospel... I mean, you know, I, I hopefully I've made that abundantly clear. Let's go further. Have I been Mordecai, an uh, Orthodox Sephardic Jew, indicates that we need to incorporate the Jewish Halakha teachings. These are the teachings that we just talked about, the, the ones that get into all of these stupid little dumb things about tassels and phylacteries and excrement and all these other things. But we need to incorporate these Jewish halakha teachings in order for believers, Christian believers, to be unified globally. I don't want anything to do with them. Unified globally. Wow, that kind of sounds like the one world coming, one world religion. Sure. It's exactly where all this is heading, ultimately. Whereas the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. These people aren't believers. This is another gospel. We're not supposed to be yoked up with them. Well, we're just going there to explore our Hebrew roots. You are not, as a Christian, supposed to meddle with this garbage. Stay away from it. It will leaven you. It will corrupt you. Verse 17, six, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Wherefore, come up from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. 
and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you will be unto me children. What if you don't wherefore come out from among them? I mean, these two verses that I quoted, that I just quoted, should be enough, just by themselves, for us not to get into this heresy, into this another gospel that they present in the Hebrew Roots movement. Ultimately, they present that. I don't. You can tell me all day long, well, we don't get into that. Well, don't tell me you're not going to ultimately be corrupted in some way, shape, or form by this. You cannot lay down with dogs and not get fleas. It is impossible. You may think that you're strong enough and powerful enough as a believer in Christ to resist all of that and just, you know, spit out the bones and just take the, you know, whatever. That is pride. That is pride. Pride goeth before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Going further, this... Abbi ben Mordecai, this Sephardic Jew, his intention is that Jewish teachers and eventually a Jewish high court should be in place in order to teach us mere believers, Christian believers, the truth. We need this Jewish high court and Jewish teachers to finally get us on track. And I have a a quote here. Boy, wouldn't Satan just love this? Wouldn't Satan just love this? If there was a a, a Jewish high court over all the Christians that could set us straight. If the head is sick, the whole body is going to be sick. And then he goes on to say, this Rabbi Ben Morka, this is a quote from him, As I see it today, Nazarene Messianic Halakha, which is again, this Halakha is what we just said, is all the stuff that um, helps us in our everyday living, all this stupid, ridiculous things they get into. The Nazarene Messianic Halakha should be in place to help us as a global community of believers. You don't believe the same thing I do. I don't want anything to do with you. A global community. Why does he keep talking about this global community, like this one world religion? Eventually, they're all going to be on the same page. United under Antichrist and the false prophet. Through lying signs and wonders and miracles, they're going to deceive the whole world, pretty much. Witchcraft. Witchcraft is the essence of this. Isn't witchcraft the essence of what we're talking about today? What's the highest level of this? The Kabbalah. Well, we don't want to admit that to the lower level peon people, the sheeple people, because they don't need to know that yet. In fact, they may never need to know that. But just... Rest assured, the people at the highest levels of what you're getting into are involved in the Kabbalah. Witchcraft. The coming one world religion. I did a whole teaching on it. It is the essence of the coming one world religion. It's the essence of most cults. All of them at the top. Whether it's Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, whatever, Catholicism, it's all witchcraft at the top. Particularly at the top. And at the lower levels, it's just more of a... Of a uh, more palatable veneer. I mean, what you, these repetitive prayers to Mary and Peter and all this is witchcraft. You're praying to, to deities outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no biblical warrant or precedent for doing this. So, going back to this quote, as I see it today, Nazarene Messianic Halakha should be in place to help us as a global community of believers in Yeshua Hamakaka. Hamashiach or whatever. They've always, they, and, and they think they're so holy because they, they supposedly use the real name of Jesus in the Hebrew form. We're going to do a whole study on that. Okay? It just makes me cringe. And again, it's a form of pride. It's a community of believers, Christian believers, properly interpret... Let me read this again. I'm sorry I've repeated this. As I see it today, this is from this Orthodox Sephardic Jew, Abba Ben Mordecai. As I see it today, Nazarene Messianic Halakha should be in place to help us as a global community of believers in Yeshua Hamakashia to properly interpret the written code of Sinai. For the community at large, Sinai, Not only is this good government, 
the kingdom of G-D on earth, but also the commandment of Yeshua. He doesn't even he doesn't even write out Yeshua either. He 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 abbreviates it because that's not proper to do either. Now, I'm going to have to stop here. This is this is the third teaching we've done today, and we're going to talk about the written code of Sinai. Because when I saw that, there was a there's a whole battery of scriptures that I have in the New Testament that I have regarding the Hebrew roots movement. And when I saw the word Sinai, it was the perfect segue into those scriptures that we're going to be looking at the next part of this teaching, which will be part 10. We're going to look at that word, and we're going to look at what the New Testament says about this stuff. And then we're going to segue back into this teaching uh, next week uh, on, on regarding this topic. Okay, so the, the next part is going to be pure Bible verses for, oh my word, how many pages do I got here? But I really, I really believe it has to be done in order to address this properly. It's that important. It really is. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer today. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us. We praise you for your goodness and your mercy that you've bestowed upon us, Lord, for, for letting us come together another time, Lord God, to meet, to put forth these truths. Uh, I do pray, God, that you would forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form, as we forgive those who have sinned against us, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, that you would open, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive regarding the truth, Lord God, and that you would also expose deception to us, Lord God, that you would give us wisdom, Lord, regarding all matters of our life, and that we would continue in your word, that, Lord God, that we would be accounted worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon this earth, as your Bible says to pray for, and accounted worthy of the first resurrection. I pray, Lord God, that you just um, bless my listeners, um, all those that are in listening distance of these recordings. I pray, God, that you preserve your word, and, and that you use the body of Christ mightily for your glory in the days and times ahead. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray, amen.